0: Hey y'all just a quick note before the show today if you've been enjoying don't fear the wasteland jump on facebook and leave me a comment i'd love to hear from you and thanks don't fear the wasteland an apocalyptic broadcast am i on good i ain't got no bible verse this time Figure I'll be talking enough about God by telling you more about Sister Grace and the other fools I've run into. Now, all of us out here in the apocalypse ain't no stranger to Corinthians. Filthy and fanatical, Corinthians travel between settlements preaching the Lord's word and begging. I ain't ever seen one do a lick of work to make up for their voracious appetite. After the first group, I started turning them away. The scant news they'd give on the state of the wasteland wasn't worth wasting half a season's worth of crops on those vagabonds. Of course, the word got out between the fools that Sheriff wouldn't brook their nonsense no more, and we went a couple seasons without seeing any sign of them. But Sister Grace's group was the first. After a week of sitting around and praying, Tripp and I carried them via truck 20 miles north and said goodbye. Sister Grace blessed us, but her tone was hard, and I could tell she wanted to curse us instead. We only put up with their idleness for a week because they had tales of the apocalypse and the wasteland, more so than even Marge had. According to Sister Grace and Brother Mark, the wasteland was very empty. Their story started just south of Huntsville at a convent. The place of worship had opened its doors to survivors and preached the word of God to reassure its occupants. From the literal ashes of the old world, a new belief cropped up, one of redemption by witnessing three teardrops for the Lady Mary weeping for mankind, and a white cloth for the innocence of a pure soul. Once supplies ran out at the convent, the mass fractured into nomadic groups and set off to spread the word in exchange for food and shelter. The world and those left were damned enough, so what few bandits were out there left the Corinthians be as they cried for their old world and man's sin. Sister Grace's group was the first, but not the last. Eventually, More fools found our farm, and they were leading a group of crawlers with cattle prods. Now again, I don't broke no nonsense, so I shot first. Tripp near beat me to it, but I was always the faster draw. Marge and her ma were shouting for the kids, and Eva was already on the second floor, rifle out the window. Between Tripp and me, we dropped three crawlers before a damn fool put himself twixt my gun and the crawler's head. I cursed and sighted for another crawler, but the group of Corinthians put themselves in a circle around their cattle prodded guests. I told Tripp to stay and take whatever shot opened up. I approached the group, slowly, rifle ready. "'What the hell do y'all want?' I asked, twenty feet from them. A man stepped forward. "'I'm Brother Matthew, and this is my flock.' "'You got a crawler problem needs taken care of,' I told him, but he shook his head." "'For I know the plans I have for you,' declares the Lord. "'Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope,' "'Brother Matthew announced. "'Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. "'You will seek me with all your heart.' "'Crawlers ain't got a heart,' I told him. "'I will be found by you,' declares the Lord, "'and will bring you back from captivity,' the man continued. "'You got two options, brother. "'Move and let me show your crawlers the mercy of death.' or you can turn around and go straight back to hell. Sister, he began, ain't your sister. We got children on this farm, and I ain't putting them at risk because you're a devotion to a Lord unseen. Now I'd appreciate it if you left. We're only passing through, though I'd hope for accommodations as Jesus would offer, the brother said. I'm not Jesus. I'm Sheriff, and you're on my property with crawlers intentionally putting us all in danger. You can leave now. "'I won't ask again, and my next shot will go through you if it has to to put those creatures down.' "'Jesus would—' "'Jesus wouldn't put children in danger,' I fired back. "'Trip spoke up then. "'Buddy, listen to the girl.' "'Brother Matthew looked at me and then back at his flock. "'We won't come any closer, but can you spare any rations?' "'I sighed. Bloodsuckers. Feed one stray and the whole neighborhood shows up. "'I went back to Trip and told him to bring some of what we could spare.' The flock wasn't large, eleven people, not counting the crawlers. We could do as Jesus would and help them. I was still itching to shoot a crawler, though. As Tripp went back to the house and I kept my distance from the group so they couldn't try anything, Brother Matthew led his people in prayer. "'Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another,' with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, Jesus wouldn't be messing with crawlers if it put his children in danger, I shouted over the prayer. Brother Matthew wasn't deterred. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven, Brother Matthew decreed loudly. In unison, the group said, praise the Lord. Sick of Brother Matthew, I shouted, command the sons of Israel that they send away from the camp every leper and everyone having a discharge and everyone who is unclean because of a dead person. I can quote scripture too, brother. I wasn't one to be deterred either. Tripp was back then with two sacks of goods for the group. He set them down, trained his rifle on them, and I beckoned the Corinthians over. Two broke away from the flock and grabbed the supplies with a gentle thanks, and then they were leaving, going back the way they came. I hoped it was the last I ever saw of them. It weren't. A week later, two of them were back, bloody and scared out of their mind. One didn't make it through the night before he began to turn, and I put him down. The other, a pretty redhead named Ginger, watched her friend pass over and read him his rights. She still hasn't told me exactly what happened, but I'd guess the crawlers got loose, or maybe they tried to rope more of them and it got out of hand. Either way, about a month later, I spotted Brother Matthew in the field near the windmill and I put him down. It's what Jesus would've wanted. Ginger's sermons didn't grate on my nerves. She also limited her preaching to Sundays, though occasionally she'd ask Frankie to learn a hymn or two to play in the evenings. Her voice was rough, like she'd smoked a lot pre-apocalypse, and I enjoyed it, even if the songs were a little too godly for my taste. The rest of the week she helped Marge in the kitchen and took care to read to the children from books I brought back from the library. She was nice to Arrow, which is why I decided she might be alright. It took me a long time to trust her. But one night, we had a talk on the back porch after everyone else had gone to bed. I couldn't sleep that night. The wind against the window pane made the wood creak, and I didn't want to disturb Samma with my tossin' and turning. I put on shoes and a jacket and stepped out back to get some air. Ginger was sitting there on the swing, silent and staring into the dark. When I asked her if she were all right, she looked over at me for a long moment before shrugging. The Shelton's big Bible was in her lap, open halfway, and she had a notebook next to her, taking notes for her next sermon, I guessed. Want to talk about it? I asked her, and she shrugged again. All right, then, I answered and sat on the porch steps. Sometimes I wonder what we did to deserve this. Is there any chance at redemption, or are we all forgotten? Her voice was a whisper. Heavy stuff, I said back to her. She laughed a little, but it almost sounded like crying. gee, if you don't know, then I sure as hell don't. But isn't that what faith is all about? Trusting, believing. All you can do is have faith that this is God's plan and live your life helping others. That's the whole Bible, isn't it? Helping others and being kind. That's the gist, yeah, she whispered. You sure you are not a Christian? You're better at it than most. I laughed at that. I'm not much of anything, I told her. That isn't true, she protested. You're this farm. You're the reason we're all here, safe and sound. When I saw you the first time, fierce and determined to keep your flock safe, I was jealous. Brother Matthew never cared about us like that. We were just there to listen to his preaching. You? Well, you actually care, Sheriff. Like the Bible says you should. You know, I read it once the bible i said after a minute a lot of what stuck with me was that we should care more about our neighbors than ourselves so i do i looked up at the stars much brighter now that the world had ended you should worship with us on sundays she said it'd mean a lot to me and the others nah i protested ain't much for church We sat in silence for a while, and I felt that maybe what had been bothering her before seemed lighter now after our talk. Eventually, Ginger stood and stretched and said she was going to bed. She packed up the Bible and her notebook and went inside. I stayed outside for a few more moments before turning in myself. Sleep came a lot faster that time. According to my journal, which is where a lot of what I say in this broadcast comes from, because while my memory is good, I have a bit of trouble with timelines, it was a week later that I decided to return home. It had been five years since Daddy and I left Mobile. It had taken nearly three years to grow the last rod of 14 people, and I finally felt like they could manage without me for a few weeks. Samma wanted to go with me, and I almost let her. But in the end, returning to Barry Mall was something I wanted to do alone, and she understood. Seeing the wasteland and what it had become after all those years was rather shocking. I didn't run into anyone, but the state of the highway and the surrounding buildings seemed far more decrepit than it should have been. Kudzu that hadn't been cut in five years had completely overtaken some of the more rural areas, eating entire buildings and parts of the highway. It made things creepier than a normal abandoned town. As I passed through Chickasaw on the way to Mobile, I was choked up to see that most of the traces that humans had left had been devoured by nature. In another couple of decades, would anything be left of us? Outside Mobile, I took a detour, following an old sign pointing the way to a government base, one that must have been set up after Daddy and I left because it wasn't there when we passed through the first time. The place was deserted, Or so I thought. The gate at the front had no one keeping watch, and there was only silence beyond the fence. It had been a small town, with a large church and community center. They'd built the fence around the giant building, and military safe zone stickers were still stuck up everywhere, though most were faded and peeling. I parked my horse outside the gate and ventured in. The yard was overgrown, but there were no bodies rotten, which made me feel better. Seeing burnt husks of cars with ash piles in the seat along the interstate was depressing. The church was massive for such a small town. Inside were cots and blankets scattered around. The stench of death hit me then, horrid and overpowering. I saw the lump in each cot and tried not to retch. I pulled the neck of my shirt up over my nose and pressed on, curious as to how nearly 50 people died in their sleep. The answer was on the altar. There were empty bottles of wine spread around and plastic cups everywhere. Bottles and bottles of pills lay about. Something creaked in the next room over and I prepared for trouble. Pushing the door open, I saw an office. A man sat at the desk reading. "'Hello?' I said alarmed. He looked up and smiled at me. "'Sister, how are you? What brings you in?' "'You do realize there's a load of dead bodies out here, right?' I asked him, jerking a thumb over my shoulder. "'Well, I do ask that you keep your voice down. They're sleeping,' he replied, laying down his book. "'Right,' I said, looking around. He was dressed like a pastor and looked like he hadn't slept in days. The office around him was small and clean. "'Well, good luck to you. I'm gonna go now.' As I turned to leave, he stood and my hand snapped to my pistol. "'May I show you something?' he asked, coming forward. I think I'm good, I told him as I backed from the room. He followed me out. Nonsense, you're here because God has sent you. There is something I must show you. I slowly took my pistol from my holster and put my other hand up. Slow down and stay back, I told him. He nodded and pointed behind me. Before I had a chance to turn, something hit me upside the head and the world went black. You can find us 50 miles west of Montgomery on a farm called The Last Hurrah. Follow the billboards on Route 109 and find your way to food, shelter, and a family you didn't know you were missing. I'm the sheriff, and I will protect you. Just remember, no funny business. Don't Fear the Wasteland is a story-driven podcast by Joey Hall, chronicling Sheriff's journey in the apocalypse and broadcast as a radio show from the last hurrah in Alabama. It's an oasis for survivors in the blasted remains of the old world, or Earth as we know it now. To learn more about the wasteland where Sheriff spends her days, check out don'tfearthewasteland.com and joeyhall.com. Thanks for listening.